God bless you, church, and good morning. Always um, keep the church in prayer. Always keep the leadership in prayer and all those that um, week after week serve in all different capacities. I say that because things are always happening. On one hand, uh, we hear about health issues and crisis situations, and then we get victory reports of how God has been so faithful and delivers us out of all of these situations. Um, right now, Brittany's voice is messed up. Heather's voice is messed up. But even as we worshiped and tears were flowing down my face this morning, I'm like, God, you are so faithful that we have worshipers that will come and praise um, your holy name. The Bible says is if we don't praise them, the rocks will cry out. There is nothing that's going to stop the church from proclaiming God's goodness and praising his holy name. Amen. Please keep, uh, keep the ministries in, in prayer. I was thinking this morning uh, as I was uh, thinking and going through the message for today, and I was thinking, oh, what, what is, what is your, your happy place? What is the thing that brings you great joy? For me, uh, all I do all day long is sing. Like, that's what I do. Uh, Heather could tell you if she sees me or she'll hear me walking by in the office, I'm singing. Uh, when I'm home, I'm singing. I'm always singing. I, I wish that uh, I would have picked up an instrument, um, but I, I caught attitudes at, at certain points in my life when I was in junior high school and, and we had orchestra. I wanted to play the bass. And, uh, and they said, um, you're too small. Because I, I had a growth spurt later in life. I'm talking about, you know, the bass. And, and they said, you could play the cello. And I'm like, I don't want to play the cello. So that was the beginning and the end of my music career. But singing is still my happy place. I love worshiping God. But we, we have to kind of think about that in terms of, of how we view life in general. How, how do we view life? What are the deep, deep things that we want um, in life? What is it that you're striving for on this side of eternity? And a lot of that comes down to uh, how you uh, define or measure greatness. Uh, th there's two ways that, that greatness can be defined. On, on one hand, it's, it's an ascending thing where you growing into something in terms of possessions, uh, in terms of position, uh, in terms of productivity. And then there is a greatness that as believers we should aspire to, and that is a descending greatness, a serving, a being, a blessing to other people, giving 
which is not the natural bent of the flesh, obviously. Today, we're going to be finishing up our series, All Up In Your Feelings, and the title of today's sermon is Set Me Straight, Lord. Uh, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4, and we're going to be reading about King Nebuchadnezzar. So if you don't mind, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, we're in Daniel chapter 4. We're going to pick up the story in verse 28, and um, I'm reading out of the CSB. Daniel 4, starting at verse 28, reads this way. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. The king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals, and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. At that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claw. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my sanity returned to me and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the King of heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is, he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Glory to your name, Lord. That is why we sing praises in your house, Lord, because we've come to this realization. But even us as your people needs seasons of reminders, Lord, that we would know that our happy place 
is found in you and you alone. Often we forget, and the things that you bless us with, we start to attribute happiness to and set them as priority. Continue to do a work in each one of our hearts, setting us straight often because we are those that tend to wander. And it is through your grace and mercy that you correct us and keep us on the straight and narrow path. Be glorified this day, Lord. Give us this reminder, Lord, so when we approach these seasons in life, we can even have great joy and recognize what you're doing in it all. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So as we uh, look at this story, um, if you know the book of Dan Daniel, right from the beginning, it starts to set uh, what was going on historically in the first siege of Jerusalem uh, by the Babylonians. Uh, according to, to Daniel, this happened in uh, the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. And that was about 605 B.C where um, this capture and deportation of some of the Jews came from Jerusalem to uh, Babylon. And we know in that capture, Daniel and some of his companions and others, some of uh, the skilled people of Jerusalem were taken and exported to Babylon. There was warning after warning after warning to God's people, turn from your ways or disaster is coming. Because of their sin against the law and them ignoring God's covenant, they had to go to a time of correction. And in that correction, uh, God used a foreign people to be the rod of correction. Uh, they had violated the Sabbath of uh, the times when they were supposed to let the land rest in the seventh year. They didn't. They were decaying morally, and they were enveloped in idolatry. That's the, the setting here. And now we find ourselves with this foreign king, and he has people in his kingdom, God's people in his kingdom, one of them being Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he has this dream uh, about this huge tree that supplied the needs of so many of the creatures in the surrounding area. And a word comes down from heaven, cut down this tree, and the tree is cut down, but the stump is left, and iron is placed over that stump. And Nebuchadnezzar is troubled by this dream, and, and he wants an interpretation, and he, he goes to his magicians, and, and they can't interpret it. But Daniel does, and when Daniel interprets the dream, he says to him, I wish it wasn't so, but this dream is speaking about you, and this is what's going to happen to you. 
So it brought us to this place um, in the story where it says, after that dream, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he's walking on his roof in the royal palace in Babylon. And the king is looking out in his vast land, and he says, is this not Babylon the great that I have built? Wow. You know, that sounds like the nerve. We do it all the time. Maybe we don't have a royal palace with a vast kingdom that's ruling the world and looking out over uh, this expansive space. But in our little ways and our smaller kingdoms and in the circumference of what we have, we're prone to do the very same thing. So he says, is this not Babylon the Great that I have built? to be a royal residence by my vast power. We often believe that the things that we have and the things that we've done and the things that we've accomplished, we've done it in our own strength and in our vast power. And the reason we do those things, like he says here, and for my majestic glory. Why we do the things that we do. We do them for ourselves often. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> Romans 11.36 tell us, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Psalms 19.1 says, The heaven declares the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. God will share his glory with no one. Because all glory, honor, and praise belongs to him and him alone. God will not allow humans to take credit for what he did, for what he does. As if it were our own skill, our own wisdom, our own strength and power that deserves the praise. It doesn't. Everything that we do is because him being the sustainer of life, him placing the gifts in us, and even for the believer, him giving us the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we forget where we were, where we came from, and who we are, how we got here. It's all about him. He alone deserves the praise. And by the grace of God, when Nebuchadnezzar 
makes this statement. It says, while the words were still in the king's mouth. So often we, um, we say things and as it's coming out of our mouth, we're like, mm, that was a mistake. This, this was a big mistake. As the words were still coming out of his mouth, a voice from heaven says, King Nebuchadnezzar, you to, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. It is our distorted thoughts, our distorted desires and, emotion, and emotions that brings us to this place. Because one of the things, particularly in this generation, with all of these platforms, people are all about self-promotion. They, they have um, desires to, to have these platforms and hold these positions and for people to look at them. Self-promotion, um, even self-care. Listen, your ankles are ashy, put lotion on them. But there's a self-care that goes to an extent that it becomes sinful. Selfishness. Nebuchadnezzar's sin was pride. His, his, uh, his grand kingdom, where he's looking at it and using that to determine his worth, his power, his wisdom, his hard work, and all that it produced. We, we do it in smaller ways, but it has the exact same what we have, who we are, what we know, building our many kingdoms. God is the one who gives us the ability to have. And even with that, when we do, we praise what we have and who we are over him. We, we can tell because of the way that we feel about those things and the care that we take to, to maintain those things because uh, it's easier to obtain something than to maintain it. That's why we have to be careful um, what we desire, what we want, and when we have these things, the type of effort is going to take to keep it. But the things that we place value on are those things that we're working real hard to keep. Often, those things aren't worth it. We're sweating and grinding and polishing and fixing for what? When we um, look at what Nebuchadnezzar was able to accomplish, he had to remember no, 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 this is by the hand of God. Remember, we're talking about a foreign king, but at the same time, some years before, just in the chapter before, in Daniel chapter 3, this is the same king that experienced those three boys getting thrown into the fire. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's funny, I couldn't pronounce that, and Nebuchadnezzar, and last week I had a problem pronouncing Naomi. <laughs> Having a, name, a Naomi here that I speak to every week, but I digress. He was there. He was so upset, he made the fire seven times hotter. The ones that went to throw those boys into the fire died because how hot it was. And when he looked in, he said, didn't we throw in three? I, I see four and one looks like the son of man. O often, we'll have an experience like that, but we tend to forget. You know, when, when this was written, it's not like chapters in a book is like the next day. No, no, that was maybe 20, 30 years before that time. And um, he did acknowledge their God, but he didn't know their God. What if God would have left him in that place where he thought, I built all of this. I did all of this. Look how great I am, and this is for my glory. Some people never get brought to the place where they're on their knees and acknowledging, no, it's all about God until it's too late. It is actually the grace of God that he would disrupt Nebuchadnezzar's happy place. If you're living in your happy place, make sure that that is not a place where you think everything that you have, you created and you did, and it's about you. God here breaks up Nebuchadnezzar's happy place, and it is actually his grace. It was the grace of God that disrupted everything that was seemingly going well for this king. The text goes on to say, you will be driven away from, the, from people to live with the wild animals, and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. Until you acknowledge, I'm God and not you, you're going to have a season where you are going to have to bow down. All of us need those seasons. We have to come to a place continually acknowledging everything is about God. What is the catalyst for change? See, God doesn't force your will, but he knows how to make you willing. 
God let him lose his mind so that he could renew his mind. Second Corinthians 10, starting at verse 3, it says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, you will punish everyone who remains disobedient. That is speaking, Paul is speaking about what they are commissioned to do, but we also have that wrestle in our own minds where we have to take captive every thought that raises up human reasoning and destroy these false arguments. It is very important for us to have seasons of brokenness. It's important. It is absolutely necessary. If God would have let Nebuchadnezzar stay in his happy place, look at my kingdom and all that I've done, having everything that he thought his heart desires. Well, remember when that was. 600 years before Christ, he would have been in trouble because he has an eternal destination just as we do. So there are major seasons of brokenness that comes into our lives, and we see that displayed here in Nebuchadnezzar's life, but there's also many seasons of brokenness because we often forget that everything we have is given by God and sustained by God. Isaiah 46, 4 says, I will be the same until your old age, and I will bear you up when you turn gray. Thoughts of independent righteousness are a grand delusion. It's a quote that I read taking credit for what only grace can produce is the height of spiritual arrogance. That's what the quote went on to say. Thoughts of independent righteousness are a grand delusion. Taking credit for what only grace can produce is the height of spiritual arrogance. That is for the unbeliever and the grace that they have just to live, that's common grace. And that is for the believer that has saving grace. Every single thing in your life is by the hand of God and by the grace of God and his mercy and his long-suffering for each and every one of us. Imagine if God treated us the way we treat our kids. Oh, you did that? My temper is short today. Give me your phone or whatever that is. It's not how God treats us. Everything that he allows us through, every season that we encounter, he's using it for our good and for his glory. He's changing us. But people fight for comfort above transformation. 
We, we all do that. We fight for comfort. Listen, I don't want to wear uncomfortable pair of shoes. We fight for comfort. But God is all about transformation. It's because we have that pleasure principle. Every day, I want to wake up, and I want things to be good. Well, God wants your good, is going to do what is good for you, and that's not always the same thing. When we tell our kids why they can't do something or have something, we do it for their good, knowing what's good for them and them not knowing what's good for them and thinking, no, 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 I know what's good for me. How much more does God know that above us? We allow our desires to overwhelm our reason. Like we know who God is, what he does, what he's done, what he's currently doing, but that reason goes out the window because we are overwhelmed with our own desires. And we allow that to be our guide instead of what God is doing. Everyone wants to have a fit body. No one wants to lift heavy weights. And then you want to wear workout equipment. You want to wear fitness gear. It says, but after the end of those days, one of the things that we can see in that is there is a season for everything. I don't care what you're going through. It's for a season. It's for a season. Whether it's I'm in a real good place or whether I am in a trial and I've been there a long time. Rest assured, it won't last forever. Remember what he said to Nebuchadnezzar. You will be in this season, which he had a determined time that he was going to be there until... You acknowledge, I'm God and not you. That was absolutely necessary. All the being outside, eating grass, being in the dew, not being, having his hair cut or his nails and losing his mind was a necessary season in his life. It says, but at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, this is him speaking, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. How often do we feel like I am about to lose my mind? It's just like the prodigal son we just sang, sang about. It says, he was in that pig pen, and when he came to himself, or when he came to his senses, Nebuchadnezzar looked up. That's the only place to look, to heaven, and his sanity returned. And then I praised the Most High and honored 
and glorified. Remember, he said, by glory, and glorified him who lives forever. Him saying, glorified him who lives forever. That season allowed him to figure out, I ain't going to be here forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. In other words, as grand as this is, and I am the ruler of the human world right now, is not as vast and as grand as the dominion in heaven. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heavens and the inhabitants of the earth. Now, already Nebuchadnezzar was a person that did whatever he wanted. He's building statues. Everybody bowed down. He's throwing people into fires. He did whatever he wanted. No one was there to hold him accountable. He came to the place where he recognized. I ain't got to see God, but I saw the effects of him. He says, there is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my sanity returned to me and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out and I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came to me. What? God preserved his kingdom and even gave him more greatness. While he's out there in the yard eating grass, did anybody say, I want to be king? This dude is crazy. There's a Brutus everywhere. There's a Judas in every situation. God preserved them. I'm going to put you some, through something for your good so you don't lose your soul. It would have been fine if God would have put him through that and he would have come out of that not being king anymore. Hallelujah, Lord, you're king. Strip it all. But God didn't do that. He preserved his kingdom. At least you would think if his kingdom was preserved, when he spoke, people were like, yeah, you know he's crazy, right? You know, that was like two weeks ago when he was outside. We can't listen to him. Maybe in his face. No, it says that. My advisors and my nobles sought me out. And I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just. And he is able to hand, humble those that walk in pride. Don't run away from seasons of correction. It's there to break your pride, your way, your desire, till you come to your right mind. 
That breaking is a grace from God. God's grace is displayed in a multitude of ways. We just want like stuff. God is after something so much deeper. What he's telling us is while the world follows after their own hearts, the Christian follows after the Lord. Jesus coming to earth was the greatest example of humility. Philippians 2, starting at verse 5, it says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Adopt this same attitude. Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Imagine that step down, creator, becoming one of his creatures. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. The most humiliating, I'm going to teach the rest of y'all a lesson so when you see this happen to this person, you never step out of line. It was the shameful way to die. They killed people other ways. No, but when they really wanted to make an example, when, when they wanted to do the worst thing to you, to torture you in the worst way and to put it on blast so everybody could see it, was the death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you come up, worship team? I ask you again, what's your happy place? He thought he was in his happy place. But the grace of God showed him, no, no, no. I have you where I called you to be. Even a Gentile with wrong motives, came to be the discipline for God's people. By God's decree, that they would, for a season, 
be in the same place that Nebuchadnezzar found himself them seven seasons to get his mind right, God took his people for 70 years. He said, I'm going to get your mind right. But promises all the way through that they would return. He's not going to leave you in that season. He's up to something bigger. He's up to something better. Forget your comfort and be transformed by the loving hand of God. He will not put on you more than you can bear. While Nebuchadnezzar was out in that field, God was protecting him. Or someone else surely would have been king. They would have shot him with an arrow out in that yard like a deer. But it was God's hand who determined, oh, I'm going to restore him to that place. Someone outside of the promise. I was talking to the youth on Friday about how I was not raised in the church. I, I became a Christian at 23, and even though 23 is relatively young, I tried everything I could on the other side of that 23 to bring me, that brought me to my knees. I told him, listen, you being raised in a Christian home and not having to experience those things, do not minimize the grace that God has given you, kept you from going through what some of us went through. But you're a sinner nevertheless in need of a Savior. We just painted a picture of imagine we just put all these snapshots of all those moments when you're alone all of those skeletons in your closet, all that stuff that you did, and we start plastering it all over these walls. In front of the congregation, you'd run out of this place crying and screaming, and you'll never come back. And it's all on full display with the Lord. He was right there when you did it. And seeing all of that, the powerful blood of Jesus covers it all. We are no better than the sinner that has not yet found grace or that will never find that grace. We're sinners saved by grace, loving the Lord because he put it in us to love him. It's not something possible with the flesh. It was God's divine grace to Nebuchadnezzar to open his eyes. We were blind. And he met us where we were and opened our eyes. 
And when our eyes start getting fixed on other things, he allows us to go through seasons to bring us back to keeping our eyes stayed on him. Those are good things. I didn't say they were easy things. They're hard. But those are good things. Coming back, I don't know what it took to cut his hair, to clip those nails that were out there for them seven years, to moisturize that skin. But he got his mind right. He got his heart right. He started to speak right. It's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So the way he was speaking before what was in his heart, well, he was singing a new song. Let's pray, church. Would you stand? If anyone wants to come to the altar, maybe you've been in that season, even upset with God, confused, feel like he, he turned his back on you or he's left you alone. He hasn't. Maybe this word helps you think right about your present circumstance. That is hard, but he's right there all the way through. And he's doing a mighty work. Let's pray. Father, we so thank you that even in a story like this, someone that was not part of your chosen people, you revealed yourself to them what was a so-called enemy of your people. Not only did you give him a platform, an influence on this side of eternity, but you opened up his eyes and revealed yourself to him, brought him to a place where he looked up to heaven and exclaimed who you are. Keep us in that place, Lord. Take us through whatever season is necessary. Teach us to trust you in the midst of it. As you reveal yourself to us, Lord, let us not be fearful of what's coming around the bend. But recognize who you are. As he proclaimed from generation to generation. So even as we look at others, our loved ones, our siblings, our parents, our children. Whatever season they're in, 
which invites us into that season as well in many ways, Lord. That we would recognize, just like the seasons are changing here, won't last forever. You're up to something. The flowers will bloom again. We pray for the one, Lord, that this day you've opened their eyes, Lord. We ask that you would bring them to a place of repentance and them recognizing how Jesus humbled himself, coming down from his throne of glory, the form of a man, to die for the sinner that repents and put their trust in him. Because he is sinless, he was able to pay a debt he didn't owe to the one that owes a debt that they cannot pay. Keep this in our hearts and mind, Lord. Let us look back at the day of our salvation, remembering that you are the one that it's all about. And in these seasons, Lord, you do good. It is good for him to have lost his mind so that you could renew his mind. Sometimes that season is major, and sometimes it's a slight adjustment. But whatever that is for each and every one of us, teach us to trust you, Lord. Teach us to look up to heaven, acknowledge who you are, ask what we need to learn, and even some of those things that we'll never know, trust in your wisdom, in your love, and that you're going to keep us. You promised, Lord, that we could have a confidence that he who started a good work in us will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We praise you for that because you are good. Amen and amen. God bless you, church.